0: To Anna conversations with Myanmar If you'd like to add your voice to the conversation here at Anna please reach out to us through any of our social media platforms or you can email us directly this conversation features Brianna and WT the creative directors behind the fight like a garment worker storytelling initiative. Long before the coup, Myanmar's garment workers faced oppression, brutality and a lack of basic human rights. But when Myanmar back under military control, they are at a greater risk than ever before. Myanmar's garment workers were one of the first groups to take to the streets back in February, publicly showing their opposition to the coup and leading the protests. But since then, they find themselves often left out of the conversation and feel almost abandoned. While other demographics in society are often lauded and hailed as heroes, the garment workers are not held in the same esteem, despite their continued bravery in taking a stand against all forms of oppression. They have suffered under every government in Myanmar, even the civilian government led by Aung San Suu Kyi, and continue to be exploited by multinational corporations and unethical business owners who hide behind loopholes and turn a blind eye as factory bosses infringe upon their basic human rights. Here, Brianna and WT highlight the horrid conditions garment workers are forced to endure in their workplaces, and the constant threats and intimidation they face on a daily basis. They also discuss the wider aims of the Fight Like a Garment Worker initiative, telling the garment workers' stories in their own words, with the hope of drawing awareness to their plight and ensuring that there is a place for them in a new Myanmar where they can work with the dignity and respect they deserve.
1: Let's start the conversation.
0: Hello. Can you guys hear us? Hello.
2: Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Uh, I just want to tell you that I am a huge fan of your podcast. I love your work.
0: Oh, thank you. <laughs> as long as one person says that to us every so often, we're like, it's worth it all. <laughs> <laughs> Great and how are you Brianna? I'm good I had my second Pfizer shot on Wednesday so I've been feeling kind
3: of off. Yeah it's a while for Thailand to get the vaccines wasn't it? It's taken a while yeah now suddenly it's unrolling a lot faster that's really good so yeah.
0: So WT (laughs) just talk a little bit about yourself just you can be very vague nothing that identifies you but just to give us a sense of who you are so people can feel a little Mm -hmm. bit
2: about you I guess okay I'm a good friend of Brianna (laughs) that's what I want to say and we talk a lot me and Brianna so I just want to refer myself as the creative writer of this project apart from that I am a student I'm a final year student of engineering and my major is mainly about environmental engineering so currently I'm just working on this project and my main responsibility for this project is story writing and interviewing the garment workers and connecting Brianna with Artist, but basically she is the mastermind behind this project. I am just a uh, co-worker. I don't so. think
3: that's true. I think we're co-masterminds.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Co-mastermind. Okay.
3: <laughs> so then, Brianna, maybe
0: you can tell us a little bit about the idea, because it, it sounds like you had an idea, and WT has made this come to life for you. Would that be fair to say?
3: Yeah. So I, when the coup took place in February, I've lived in Myanmar since 2015. But happened to be stuck outside because of COVID. And so when the coup took place on February 1, my husband and I looked at each other and we were like, are we going to use our social media with our real names to speak up about what's going on? And we just agreed yes right away. And so I did that and I started getting a lot of followers. And so then because of that, I started getting involved in more campaigns. And as a result of that, I got to know WT through the campaigns that I did. And then we started talking about garment workers and um, how much we just wanted to like help tell their stories. And so I ended up securing some grant funding for us to be able to compensate artists and to give honorariums to the people we interviewed. And but we were able to pull it off even with some real challenges like having the chat depreciate, you know, by 30% during the course of the project timeline and having defensive war being declared partway through the project and things like that. So um yeah, that's kind of a zoomed out view of how it all came to be.
0: Yeah. I think it would be great to, to learn a little bit more about the garment workers. Like, I feel like it's a discussion that's not being had. I mean, it's very superficial, like, oh, businesses stay, businesses go, the the garment workers will starve. You know, so I don't feel like anyone's really explaining the garment workers and and what they've been through, what they have suffered even prior to the coup and just the kind of role of international businesses uh, there. So I don't know which of you is best placed to tell us a little bit more about that, or maybe um, just so people can get a sense of like working as a garment worker in Myanmar and what that actually means
3: our focus for this has been very story-based. So we don't, we're not experts on the system. We're not experts on labor, right? And we both, before we decided to do the podcast, we were like, we need to be really upfront about that. Like we aren't labor rights experts. We're really focusing on stories. So that being said, WT conducted the interview. So she has stories. And we have a lot of anecdotes just about what their experiences were like. And most of our storytelling has to do with what they've been going through long before the coup, and which is why they were the first ones to lead the protest movement. Mm-hmm. Garment workers were some of the first ones to get out onto the streets on the first week of February. And there's a viral video of them protesting in the factory, singing one of the revolution songs. I think it was from February three or four. I don't know. But so they they were right at the, at the tip of the, the charge protest, basically. So anyway, the stories we have are mostly like anecdotes from their lives.
2: Yeah, the sole purpose of this project is we are just trying to get people attention on the government workers. We are not uh, speaking on behalf of government workers. That's what me and Brianna always said. It's not like uh, listen to government workers just like that. The government workers have been speaking, and we are not speaking on behalf of them. Instead, we want other people to pay attention to what they, are. they have been told. So for that, we really need to reach to the people's part. So to reach to the people's part, storytelling is the best thing we can do. Like we, we want people to, to read the story from the point of the gum walker. So that's why we decided to do collaboration with talented artists. And I'm going to like do the interviews and then read based on the true events they told me. And then the artists will do the job, like to, to represent that to people, so that way we are going to be a bridge between people and the garment worker so that's what our purpose that's what we are trying to do.
0: Yeah and that sounds really important because it seems like the one thing we're not getting is information from the actual garment worker. so it's really important because you know I'm kind of getting sick of listening to experts tell me about things <laughs> so to actually yeah. get directly from the people it is great. So do you want to tell us maybe um, Wt an example of kind of one of the stories um just to give us a sense of of what 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 they've been telling you in, in the interviews you've conducted
2: okay so i I've been doing like a couple of interviews with them and they all have this thing with them one one government worker even told me that um of course I saw the news about stuff like strife that, that has done by government workers, like the conflict between employees and employer thing, but no one actually writes something from their side. So whenever someone uh someone obsessed about the government workers the government worker side, they they feel really happy because okay, someone is finding harder, someone is finding clean that group. They want people to be with them. And they kind of like <laughs> don't believe in government because they always feel like they are alone, right? So whatever happens, they do the protest. Like people always see them, they they are doing the protests, but there is no like follow up action to that. And then they have been through like different governments, but there is no big action from the government, right? So they feel like uh, people are their hope. <laughs> so those are the like the common things that comes from them is they really want people to be with them.
3: And another thing is that they felt forgotten. They felt like the revolution had first acknowledged them and then moved on to focusing on PDF and CDM and and those kind of things gripped people's attention and people uh, kind of forgot like how much these workers have to bear even as the coup continues. They're like celebrated in the same way that CDMers are, but they're hugely at risk to the point that right now, like a lot of the community has gone dark. We've lost contact with our lead interviewee and a lot of other people I know who, who try to work with garment workers have lost a lot of contact as well. A lot of the young people from like that community, I think have joined some kind of resistance. And so there's more crackdowns happening in the communities where the garment workers live as a result, um, which is why we, a lot of us have lost contact because a lot of them are in hiding or just trying to be extra secure.
2: Yeah. And kind of like they are paying becomes normal like people normalize their pay right and some government workers even told me that okay we have been in this situation for too long so uh, like their pay wages very low and they have to work for a long time those type of things like it is really shocking to me because i'm privileged enough that not to pay attention before this project to be honest right and when they told me that uh, about their struggles, about their problems. I'm so shocked and, oh my gosh, we normalize their pain. So, and I really want to change that. And some, some government workers know that, uh, their rights have been, what do you call it? expired? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the employer did not give them their rights. So some government workers know that their rights have been, um, expired. Sorry, I forget that word. They're
3: like given their full human rights. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yes, yes.
2: They don't really get the basic human rights, basic labor rights. Some people know that, but some common workers don't realize that fact. They think that these poor things are normal. And even if they have a sense that someone is doing dirty to them, they don't get a chance to speak out against them because they have to care about their family and they, they have to have a job basically. So not to lose that job, they have to stay silent.
1: And can I just ask a few questions that are probably, I should already know and, and seem very obvious. <laughs> um Are these workers primarily female? And are they yeah. moving to the areas for the work? Or is it the case that quite often there's a, a village nearby a factory and therefore that is the industry and that is the employment for that area? How does it work in terms of becoming a garment worker? Is it that people migrate to the area for the job? Or is it that if you're born in an area, it's kind of the only job opportunity?
2: Yeah, because most of the garment workers that I've interviewed with, they come from rural areas, like from villages, because there is no good job opportunities in their villages. And most of their parents are like farmers. So if you don't know about, if you know about farmers, you will know that they don't have a bad income. You know, they will only have the income after harvesting. So like once a year and they have really big family. So mostly females have to come to these kind of factories because it's kind of easy to get a job and a place to stay maybe. So many females came to Yangon and then they worked as a garment worker. So yeah, everyone I interview with, they are not from Yangon, not originally from Yangon.
3: And then, like, a lot of people ended up moving to Lanthaya for work after Nargis. Is that right? Yes,
2: yes.
3: Yeah. So some of it's also fall out from farming in a different way, the way the cyclone affected
2: farmers. True, so by, like, agents or some people, some women came work well, as a garment worker because, like, their big sister is already a garment worker there. So they passed the job by. And, yeah. Like their friends are there. And so, OK, I will just watch this. It's easy to get a job there.
1: It's my understanding that these factories, these workplaces are kind of, uh, they're, they're not associated with one corporation. They provide garments for various different, like Adidas and, and Primark and, and things like that. Uh, but you've said that they've never had good rights in terms of like wages and hours. So is it the case that it's always dependent on the government and not actually who they're supplying at the time? Is that a really complicated question? We talked to someone who said that it depends which factory you work in, like some insist on better pay and better hours. Is, is that a myth or is that something that you've you've come across?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know that I can speak to it across the board but I think some factories supply specifically to a few leading brands that might be more well known and then some just are doing specific orders perhaps just as they come in for different brands but not consistently for that brand I think it varies because
1: I'm just really intrigued because we have like I mean Primark has an ethical department and like if you contact them they assure you that they protect the the pay and the hours of the individual but if these If these factories, if these workplaces are producing for lots of different people, then they can't, they can't guarantee that, can they? They can't insure it.
3: Right, right. And it's kind of easy for these garment factories to like hide behind whatever the the factories on the ground are doing because they say, oh, we have no control. The Adidas can say we have these like values, but then the factory that they're actually ordering from might be owned by like a Chinese businessman who's running it in Myanmar. And so at the end of the day, the Chinese businessman can call the junta in to like, you know, crack down on workers that they see protesting and Adidas would be like, well, it's not in our hands. I'm not saying that that exact scenario happened. I'm just making a hypothetical and inserting Adidas into it, but that's something that happens. So.
2: So yeah, they told me that they cannot just directly go to their boss. They have like supervisor, manager, and then the boss and maybe the translator. Most, most of their boss are. I need sleeper. And then if you want to say something to the boss, no. There is no way that you can reach out like individually. And when you first walk at the garment hall, they will hand you a paper saying this discipline you have to follow. Or if you cannot follow this, you will have to like resign or something like that. But they don't have advice. They will have to sign no matter what they wrote that.
0: In terms of their like day to day, do they work eight hours a day with like an hour break and with like, you know, um, maternity leave and holidays and all of the benefits you would expect uh, if you're working for international brands in other countries. Is, is that like anyway happening in the garment industry?
2: Mm-mm, no. <laughs> you have to go to work around 7.30 and then 5 p.m. if you are like work overtime, but you have to work overtime if your manager is asked you to. Like, sometimes, it could be either the midnight, or overtime It's the midnight.
3: And What are they
2: paid for that?
3: Are they paid extra?
2: Very little. Very little. Like, one interview we told me that they don't want to do the overtime because the extra money is very little and they are so tired working all day and doing the overtime work is really impossible for them. But, you know, you don't have a time. You just have to walk it because you want that even if that man is from many is latest they want that because they need that like you have to walk six days and Sunday is the only holiday and even if like like the danger holiday if they are off on the danger holiday you have to walk that you do so just walk
3: (laughs) and and the other thing is if you object or you try to take time off they'll just fire you and replace you because there's so many other people to fill the job is that right
2: yeah, yeah. And they can't even have pilot break properly. You know, they hand the card to go to the pilot for a battery or like a call. So if you want to go to the pilot, you have to take the card. So if someone is, someone is going to the pilot, then you can't do that because the card is not there. And if you go to the pilot for more like three times a day, the supervisor will come and warn you and like maybe scream at you. So.
3: <laughs> can you really tell them the
2: water break story? Do you remember that oh, one? Oh, that's really sad. Yeah, that's terrible. And that happened a long time ago, but she told me that there was one time. Okay, so they don't place the water bottle near the walking place. So if you want to drink the water, you have to go outside far, like far a bit, and then you have to drink it. So. The government workers have each other. One government worker takes the responsibility of bringing the water by one liter borders, right? And one day, a person took six borders for other people. And then after, after that trip from bringing the water from that water border, the boss forked him and then make him stand innocent for, for like an hour. With no head Outside, covering. Sorry. Like, they, like yeah. it's, a, it's like a punishment yeah. because the boss thinks that that man is not walking and that man is trying to like uh, sneak a bit making the excuse of bringing the water so that's really unfair
0: i'm just like i'm just really surprised when i hear this because you know i i've heard so many things from you know like the smart textile and garments this like european union that's co-funded by private sector partners and they talk about all this like ethical and training and all this brilliant stuff they're doing in myanmar but doesn't really sound like they've done a lot. Like, I mean, it's kind of worrying uh, when you hear things like that and, and what's happening versus what's being sold, you know, because they they claim on their website that they're, you know, they aim to improve <laughs> the working conditions and promote labour and environmental standards and reduce labour rights abuses. Is there any evidence that that's working or happening that you can see from speaking to garment workers?
2: Okay. Well, maybe we are talking about the different sidebarings. Um, In Findaya, there are a lot of other factories as we're trying to keep the identity of the government workers, So we have the record of the factory name, but I don't know if we should release it or not. You know, there are so many other labor rights abuse happening currently because the managers, the supervisors, they really underestimate the power of the workers. They don't expect the workers speaking out against them because, you know, they know that they need money. and. They threat them that if you like, it's really complicated and very terrible, right? And if they don't like you personally, even if they don't like you personally, they would just make some excuse to the boss and then they will make you get out of, get rid of your job. So,
0: so it sounds like they're at the mercy of their factory bosses. And are are the factory bosses like, are they motivated by greed and just money and financial gain? Is that their, their motivation?
2: Well, I don't know. The factory boss are mainly from China, like they are Chinese, and the one who is in charge of the factory are mostly Myanmar. But like supervisor or manager, that's what they call me. And yeah, sometimes labor unions take part of those kind of injustices, Of course, there are a lot of strikes happen in factory. But that's another subject.
0: I imagine lots of them would be afraid to join a union. Like, would that be putting a target on your back in some factories if you join a union?
2: course well, I have that story. Okay, I'm talking about right now. Okay, so the one interview we was from a Labour union, and then she told me that the supervisor is really afraid of her because, you know, since this is about the, like, union walk, if they, like, trying, if they make the protest, Gamma workers are afraid to join the labor union, of course. And if you, like, if you kind of powerful. So this interviewee told me about her story. She she's from the labor union. And she told me that she has received a lot of threats from the manager. The manager even told her that you don't have to come to work. You just stay at your house. We'll give you the salary. Just don't do anything to the workers. Just don't, like. Just don't educate the workers. Cause, like, we won't get rid of your job if you stay at home. Just don't come to work. Because we are afraid that the workers might get educated and speak against them. Like, right? If they do that collectively, like, the manager can, the manager has no power on that. Like, if all of the workers don't go to work as a part of a strike, then the manager will not know what to do. Like, right? So, Many many managers, supervisors and bosses are afraid of the union power.
0: And I'm just trying to understand then where the international brands fit into this. So we have brands like Zara, H&M, Adidas, Primark that are really well known. And it's kind of shocking that in this day and age that they would be, you know, part of anything where human rights abuses like this were happening. But as I think Ruth (laughs) said earlier, We can't know which, which factories are supplying which, which these companies. So like, it sounds like this is kind of happening across a number of factories. What should these businesses be doing? Some people are saying they should withdraw. Some people are saying they should, you know, support the workers. What's your take or what is the garment workers? What do they say to you when you talk to them about these international businesses?
2: I think that's one that government has to step in, right? So if I am the employer, I might, I might be afraid of the government. Law, that the laws is on the side of the empire. Like, even in the military government, way before this coup, the military government and then the NMD government, like, the, the, some sort of democracy uh, is here right now. So, the government don't have really, like, concrete laws for that labor right, to be honest. And even if you are from the union, and then you go to the, like, you go to the law office, like, labor right office, they were trying to give you excuses, give you so many reasons, and then the boss would do some type of bribe, and your your case will go away. So then you cannot do anything. These type of things happen across our nation, not just from the government. That like from oh, what can I say? We don't have a concrete like justice for our law. There is no such justice in our law for a very long time.
1: Yeah, so you need need laws from the top and a government that's going to treat people right. Mm-hmm. From my perspective as a consumer outside of the country, it really bothers me that I can write to one of these organisations and they kind of have a loophole to say, oh, mm-hmm. we are doing because they're not specifically associated to one factory. That personally really bothers me as a consumer <laughs> because, yeah. I mean, I hope so much that the revolution succeeds and, and Myanmar gets proper you know standards of living for everyone that deserves it but from the immediate effect of what we can Mm -hmm. do right now Mm -hmm. is it worthwhile as putting pressure more pressure on on these companies do you think as writing letters as doing petitions what what would you want from us from an outside perspective in in terms of helping
3: I think that public shame is probably the most effective use of limited time and resources if you feel like You know, if you can't make a career out of it. I don't know. It was interesting because one of the first campaigns I did when I, I still don't know what I'm doing, but (laughs) I really didn't know what I was doing. Then it was the Adidas campaign. And I asked people to submit pictures of themselves protesting in Adidas. And my tweet went viral in my inbox. I was so overwhelmed. All these people in Myanmar love Adidas, like, and sent me their pictures. And then I got an email forwarded from someone that Adidas had seen it and got worried. (laughs) So we hadn't even launched the campaign yet, but they saw something happening. And I don't know. It was enough that they had a phone call with somebody inside the or co- contacted someone in labor organizing. And so the the person told me, like, oh, this is a good thing. Like, they're nervous. Like, that's a good thing. I don't know where it went from there. But I do think that public attention on them is really important, and I think one of the reasons why we've published our stories first in Burmese is because we have to start with Myanmar people because the change for Myanmar with, with any aspect of the revolution is coming from within the country, and I think that it needs to be Myanmar people who care about this first enough to have more accountability for businesses that operate in Myanmar from the international community, and the international community has a role to play and should care also. But I think us trying to support and bring these stories into the light for the Myanmar community is a really good place to start.
0: Yeah, just like not wearing Adidas is a very good place to start in Myanmar or anywhere. Like, I mean, just not wearing their products, not buying their clothes. I mean, even since like, this has all come to light in the last while. Like I've stopped shopping in any of these shops until I get some clarity because it's too muddy. And I just can't trust in clothes coming from H&M, clothes coming from Zara, Primark or Adidas. So they're just on my boycott list until they answer questions further. I have clothes from those places from before, but I refuse to buy anything, which is very annoying because Christmas is coming and Primark is the place to be for lovely fluffy pajamas and slippers. But no. As long as people are suffering elsewhere, I can't justify buying those things right now. Um, and as long as, as you say, Ruth, they're hiding behind these loopholes. Oh, well, like it's not our factory or we don't know or you know, we have like as long as they draw up, like, I guess their own like, oh, this is our code of ethics. They don't care if anyone follows it as long as they can point to one and say, oh, well, we have this. But the fact is on the ground, people are being treated really bad. But also we spoke to Tim Mong from Blood Money Campaign as a researcher. And he did talk to us about how little money they get. Like, I mean, even forget the coup, forget the military, forget everything else. It's a shockingly low wage. And it's been cut since the coup. I mean, and looking at the prices of food and everything like that. And they're getting 3,600 chat a day. What's that in U.S. dollars? I, I'm not even sure. 3,600 chat today. What would you get U.S. dollars for that?
3: Like less than two dollars or is it right around two dollars? Yeah, we're talking less than two dollars a day. They're working sometimes
0: till midnight. They might get closer to $3 if they work till midnight from 7.30 in the morning. I mean, you know, fashion brands that are huge and brands like Adidas that are have so much money. Like it's, it's crazy when you actually stop and think about it. I can't enjoy fashion anymore. It's terrible. <laughs> it just, it's, it's awful. Um, but how do they live on that money? Like, can they live on that? Is it even possible right now?
2: Of course not. And because of the coup, a lot of government workers has become jobless, and they don't have a like. Obviously, Yangon is the only place, the place for business. Like even if you open a small job, you know, I think they they really love Yangon. Although they they are from other towns, now they lost their jobs, so they got back to their home, and it's not good for them to start a business or like whatever. So majority of People become jobless because of the coup, especially from garment sector.
0: Like there's also like one of the things I worry about because when people say, "Oh, the fashion brands should pull out; these international brands just get out of the country until you know proper rights are, are put in place and all of these things." But I worry that there's going to be a time where they're forced out because the whole country cannot function. So if we're heading down that direction and it's going to happen anyway, surely it will be better to go. Prepared and give the workers severance packages and these kinds of things that that 's what I worry about. I just worry that at some point you're just going to have to go because the country cannot function and you cannot operate your businesses, or do you think no the factories will always no matter what they will see this through and they will be able to continue no matter what or what what's your thoughts on on because some of Yangon is fully functioning at the moment, but other parts are not, so I just wonder how long they will continue
3: i don't know my first thought <laughs> is that. I think that there's some comparisons that could be made between the garment industry and extractive industries up north in Myanmar, in that these are things that people can find a way to make money on no matter how bad things are. And that's just because there are so many layers that these companies can hide beneath. As long as there's shipping, they can do it. It's kind of my thought. As long as there's enough infrastructure. And that's why, I mean, Lantai is close to the port. As long as there's a working port, they can ship their clothes off. A couple miles to the port and th- they get them to the international trade world. So I don't know. I don't know much about logistics, but I think that th- that it's a profitable business because there's not a lot of accountability. So as long as there's no accountability, they can probably keep
2: doing what they're doing.
3: It's my guess. What do you think? WTT?
2: <laughs> well, I think the true power line <laughs> between the people. Of course, we worry that a lot of people go jobless, but If we keep doing that, like, if we keep walking, if we keep those companies, like, without holding them accountable, if these things happen again, like, happen all the time, again and again, then it will be for worse results. So, they can go hangar for, like, temporarily, and then they, they will be hoping for the best, right? Like, they will stay off a bit, and then hopefully those companies will do the right thing. And then that, that will be what, what for them to go hungry for a while.
0: And I guess that's what they see it as a short term to, to get to a a bigger point. But I guess other people are worried that it's not going to be short term. And if these companies pull out, they won't come back. I mean, that is the fear that if they go and they source elsewhere, then they're never going to come back to Myanmar. So what would happen then? I mean, I guess there would be no jobs for a large number of garment workers. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I mean, it's such a predatory industry in that they can go find another country that doesn't have very many regulations. So it's, it's kind of the same as a garment worker who needs an, a water break and gets fired for taking one too many on an international scale, they'll just go find another country that doesn't ask for that.
0: And I'm assuming because they haven't done that, and given everything that's happened in Myanmar since February, and deciding to stay must mean you must be making some serious money out of that country, or you would be just gone and gone somewhere else. And that tells me how exploited they must be that as an international business that has billions you're like still going to stay in a country that is like (laughs) in the situation Myanmar is right now like that must be the cheapest labor in the world that that's what I've decided Myanmar must be one of the cheapest places for labor right now
3: yeah yeah WT did anybody share with you like the difference they noticed between the civilian government and before like did anyone you interview worked over both they did say that you've had interviewed people who worked under both governments.
2: Did they say if they noticed a difference in working conditions? Well, no. The government doesn't have a huge impact on them. They told me that I have been, I have been in military government. I have the democratic government. Now we are back again to the military government. So they told me like, no matter which government can do, we are, we are the ones to suffer. So that's really sad.
0: So all of this, we get sold that, oh, under this democratic transition, you know, these international brands made a difference in Myanmar, you know, they were helping the country progress. Like that's, that's like not what the people on the ground have experienced.
2: Mm -mm, No.
3: (laughs) The whole term was really just a green light for business. It wasn't (laughs) something that materially changed workers' rights. It's It's always
0: been our worry. The more that we've talked to people, the more worried we are that people have seen Myanmar as a business opportunity and never had any intention of seeing it as anything else. And this coup is very frustrating for them because it's ruined their business opportunities. But there's others who are seeing this as an opportunity to all step in when everyone else is stepping out. Like You know, there's always vultures circling, you know, it's very frustrating. So what is the kind of hope for the garment workers then? They're hoping that that under a new, I guess, federal democracy, that they would have the kind of rights people promised them all along that their hope is for a new Myanmar?
2: Of course, of course. They told me that. Okay, you guys experience the dictators now, but we have been experienced dictators since we come to the job. Our boss has that dictators too. So we are going to fight for no matter what, no matter what they take. Like we are going to fight at all costs. You know, it really makes me upset that some people trying to blame the common workers for doing the protest and the they don't really care for the government workers. They don't hide the word from the government workers. Uh, some people who are still going to the job because of the financial problems, they are trying to have uh, during the protest. Like, for example, uh, as a protest, like, oh, the NUD announced the D-Day, right? D-Day. And on that day, in the factory, all of the workers wear the white t-shirt as a protest sign. But the boss didn't notice that. But, you know, although they know that wearing, like, that things might be risky, they are trying to do that because they want to support whatever we are doing against the dictatorship. They are trying to do whatever they can. That's what I mean. Some people might seem like they are not participating in this revolution anymore, but no, that's not true. Even if they have to go to war, they they are trying to have at the government workers. And some people try to blame the government workers because they go into the war and for about the sanctions then, right? As many people ask the company for the sanctions, but some workers think that it is not quite fair for them because they go jobless. But even in that type of situation, they are trying to do what they can for this revolution. So that's not quite.
0: Yeah, like from what, what I'm understanding from talking to you today and, and looking at this fight like a garment worker, the garment workers are not here to say, oh, our factories are on military-owned businesses or the military are getting money from the factories. They're here to say that we've been persecuted and treated horrifically for decades and mm-hmm. it needs to stop. And yeah. if this is a, a, a movement for a new Myanmar, we need to be at the top of that list of priorities. Would that be fair to say what your your whole campaign is about?
2: Yeah, the priority might be a or I don't know. They won't be thought that that like they are not claiming that we should be the priority, but they really ask people that don't forget us when we win this revolution. Like if you are like winning, when when you win, when you are Beijing and new Myanmar, then you should really remember us too. You should recognize our struggles. We have been suffering for a very long time, and it's time for you guys to hear our voices. That's what we are doing. That's what we are telling our people that please pay attention to the government sector.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important as well, because, you know, it gets caught up in conversation about, oh, well, they don't make that much money for the military. It's not about that. It's about treating them with human decency. And as you say, they would Mm -hmm. never want to be at the top of the list, but they just don't want to be forgotten. So it's important now when everyone is focused on Myanmar and getting, you know, human rights and taking the military out of power, that, that the new Myanmar includes everybody.
3: Yeah. Well, and I think it's a fight against the view of garment work as a job that is less valuable is such mm-hmm. a classist thing too. And that's something we've come across in our storytelling is like, there's some journalists and people who are like, Oh, now all these garment workers are going to sex work. And so they're basically stratifying which jobs are seen as respectable in society and then how these people deserve to be treated. And so it's kind of this fetishizing of garment workers get objectified, and so do sex workers. But I think to some degree, too, the new Myanmar needs to be a place where there is like some sort of a, what do you call it, like a universal income for people so that there isn't this huge disparity between people who do different kinds of work, because all work is good, and all work should be treated with dignity, you know.
0: And that's yeah. an interesting point you make. There is no welfare system or anything like that in, in Myanmar. Like we have in most countries, like if you have no job for any reason, like the government will supplement you and, you know, you can live on that. Myanmar doesn't have anything like that, does it?
2: No. <laughs> that I'm aware <laughs> <I> of.
0: <laughs> so if you have no work, you have no money, basically. You know, whereas in most Western countries, anyway, if you have no work, you know, the government will supplement you and give you some money, you know.
2: Yeah. yeah. In every government... The working class has been the one who suffered the most. And I'm the one inside of the country. I mean, I'm the low-key one here. So I know about my people a lot. I really mad at my people who forget the working class. You know, the farmers, the garments like that. Oh my gosh, what have we done to them? We are very privileged. We are just minding our business. We don't care about those working class. I'm not proud of that either. Before this school, I was just, to get graduated. I want to have a stable exam. And now that I know these issues, and I am so mad in myself, and I, I I want everyone to care about them, you know. The true power hole in our hands, right? So, like, everyone is sharing, they are pain, they are straggers, then no one dares to touch them, not the government. The government do not dare to ignore those kind of issues, and science do not dare to, like, do the labor, labor abuses to them. If everyone in the country has, like, educated themselves about the working class and, like, asking for the rights for them, no one dares to do that. It's that simple. And Pat, you know, we are just minding our business. It just really makes me sad.
1: I think, um, from going to smaller communities and, like, traveling outside of Yangon, there does, from what I saw anyway, there seemed to be quite a good level of community feel. And whether yeah. it was religious space, whether it was donating and then giving it out from like the Buddhist space. But I went into Christian areas as well. And it would be the mm-hmm. same that very much you look after the people in the community. I'm wondering whether, I mean, as Brianna's just explained, there's kind of this idea that some jobs are worth more than others. I wonder if that's with opening up and these new businesses coming in and then the exploitation and people not really understanding not understanding sounds patronizing, but um not embracing the change in in what yeah. what new mm-hmm. work can mean for people, because obviously this is something that the u k did but we demonized workers back in the industrial revolution, and they were <laughs> it not yeah. and it was yeah so it's it's almost like because Myanmar opened up in such a way, this progression has happened really quickly, and the two things don't haven't matched up yet. So what you're doing is fantastic to raise awareness in your country. And like you say, you're the person in the country who knows and has experience.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
3: Fantastic work you're doing.
2: Yeah. We just need to realize that this is the human rights issue. And we have to share the pain. You know, if we are not sharing the pain, the capitalism is profiting from us. That's what they want to do, right? That's what they want People to ignore, that they want to make, make us busy with our own life so that We don't recognize their crime, so we cannot let that happen again anymore.
3: Yeah, something I really want WT to share is we were talking last night about the story we released yesterday, and the story released yesterday has a happy ending because it's somebody who was in a debt snare and had this huge accumulated debt and then walked away from it, and it's based on a story of someone I met, and we revised it and filled it out with different details and interview material. But some people were skeptical about the story because it has a happy ending. What was the proverb that you said
2: about that? It's a balmy saying. It is very easy for other people to be pitiful for someone. But when that someone you used to be sorry for become a happy person, then you, you will not be happy for them because you used to look down on them. That's why you start to feel like you are something superior to them. When common even say, they say that yeah. they are not believing in our story. Even so though it's a true story.
3: Yeah, they yeah. thought we made it up. Just I the mean, idea that all. these people have agency and that they can create a better world without our holding their hands as people of the higher classes yeah. <laughs> um, is something that's not necessarily appealing to everybody because othering like this class of workers is... Feels good when you're in a powerful position. So we want to fight against that mentality too.
2: I'm gonna say all the tea right now. I want people <laughs> try. I want people like really like to use like really like to look down on the other people because that's what the government has been doing to us. You know, we don't really have the full human rights even if it is for a middle class. Like we want to show, up. we want to feel good about our income. So to feel up good about that. You used to, like, you want to look down on other people. So that's something that the capitalism of Myanmar do to the Myanmar people. This came from the local one, so trust me.
0: Yeah, maybe, like, this coup is an opportunity for everyone to reflect on these things uh, and maybe do better. I think once your eyes get open now for a lot of people, which is why what you're doing is so important, because everyone is looking now, and that's the time to tell these stories when people are paying attention. But, yeah garment workers under military are not going to have any rights in a new government there's there's hope i guess you know yeah what is the plan for the fight like a garment worker are you going to keep telling stories i know some of your sources have obviously gone to ground or you've lost contact with so is that going to halt your production a bit or have you got enough materials to keep going a little while
3: we have um three we've lined up to do like three full series like comic book style so we've done at least two and we have a third one that the illustrator is finishing and then we'll be we'll be done with the project as it as it stands now but I already have contacted my dream for this when we started is that we could find like a, a publisher that might be interested in making a bigger story and so there's a possible lead that we have to like write a longer story and do more research to publish something that would get more more people around the world hearing the story so we'll see where that goes but that's like both of our dreams come true to be able to do more research and to like write a bigger story. Yeah. So we'll see what we can do. But yeah.
0: Yeah. And there are organizations like Clean Clothes is one example, you know, that mm-hmm. I know of. that do a lot of work on trying to expose these kind of things around the world in other countries and fighting hard for for garment workers. But I guess we ourselves as consumers have to kind of think of our role in this as well. If we keep going and buying mm-hmm. all this fast fashion without any kind of concept of where it's coming from. So I think on an individual level, we can maybe do a little bit more research and maybe think, can I shop secondhand? Can I shop in more ethical ways to know that people are getting a fair wage and a fair salary? But yeah, we have to kind of look more at why clothes are so cheap, like why I can buy a dress for like $6. Like, I mean, someone's getting paid, you know, a dollar a day. That's why I can buy that for $6, you know? So it doesn't feel good to wear that when you know that, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. And especially in Myanmar, you know, the power and money is very, power and politics is very interlocked. Like, we, like, individually, the people lost their voice on this. You know, they were like, oh, this is not our problem. The government will do the job. But on the boss will be like, no, no, we will do the government. So I just want to realize everyone to me. Like focusing on this kind of issue, and I want them to realize that they can change this. You know, this might sound cliche, but you can change this, right? If you really realize that, if you don't like, if you don't be scared of criticize the government, criticize them, and at the gas protest, then you are doing the good job, and you are doing that. You are standing together with the government. I want people to realize that too. So that's why stories are important. If we just go out and tell people that like, you need to do this, you need to do this. <laughs> no one will want to do this. What are you like? What are you uh, coming to tell me what to do or not? But you know, by telling this from the story, we are letting them to see this from final of exam and walker. And this is where hearts are going to get connected. So.
3: Yeah. We believe storytelling can change the world. So that's why we're doing it.
2: I think I I, I agree with you. And I think
0: you guys are right. People can change, Um, but we have to start by educating people slowly. And as you say, telling the stories and hoping that this is in people's thinking and that they they look at these people not as garment workers but as themselves. You know, as it could be their mother, it could be their sister, their auntie, their friend. Like we all the same people. You know, and there's some males in the garment industry. I'm not gonna... <laughs> I know there's a lot of females, but there are some males. <laughs> Um, But just to see them as people, because they are people, you know, and not to define them just by their job. You know, everyone has to earn a living and they should be able to do that in uh, safe conditions and not be exploited and earning a dollar a day. I mean, that's crazy. Crazy.
3: I have an interesting story that I meant to share about the Adidas campaign is that I think there was a crackdown in Lanthaya on the 14th of March. And a couple of days before that, Adidas decided to release a statement in English about the coup. Took them long enough, but they finally did. And they said they made a typo in their statement. It was like, we condone all forms of violence in Myanmar. And I think it just goes to show how much impunity these businesses have, because it's a massive typo. They didn't release any statement in in Burmese when really the target audience should be like the people where you're operating should also matter. But they didn't go to any trouble to release any statement in Burmese. They released a statement in English. And then when they were called out on it, because a bunch of people were like ah, on Twitter and it got a, a bit of attention on Myanmar Twitter, but they never corrected it. And I think it just goes to show people aren't there's just not accountability, like even for a stupid press release like that, that you wouldn't m- maybe apologize so like it's just like obviously they didn't mean to say that, but it was just it was really bad error to release public statement like that and then like make another you know they didn't make an apology or like a correction statement. Oh sorry, we made this you know. And I think it just goes to show like not that many people are paying attention or there's not much accountability. Both I think that you can get away with saying very little or saying anything as a public like measure of work sorry about the situation and it doesn't. Yeah, interesting anecdote from that.
0: I mean, it sums it all yeah. up, you know, doesn't it? But when you think of the amount of yeah. like high profile people that are, you know, have deals with these companies as well, like surely this is not good for your brand or your business. Like if you are like a very famous person and you're selling a certain side of yourself and you're doing, you know, you you are wearing Adidas stuff and you have to know this stuff. You, know, you have to pay attention to it.
3: Um, That's the problem is Adidas kind of has this like pro woman angle. They have Adidas women now. And they have like a lot of like diverse bodies and diverse abilities featured in their American marketing, but it just feels like the biggest lie because they're still exploiting people in order to produce that. So yeah, it feels like such a lie to see their marketing. That's like really appealing to American consumers who see it and they're like, wow, they're so inclusive on every level. And it's not inclusive (laughs) if you're doing it on the backs of Myanmar workers who aren't being fairly paid.
1: Yeah. For me, like, Primark and Penny is not excusing not them at all, but they are the cheapest possible clothes. And it's a lot of people who are on minimum wage in the UK that, sh- that shop there and they don't, they're ignorant to the plight of the people doing it, but they're also struggling on the on their financial income themselves. But Adidas right. is a higher range than that. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, right it's, a, it's not a, affordable for the people on the minimum wage. It's more expensive. So for them to still exploit, to make that extra profit mar- margin, not that any exploitation is ever okay, but it's even more shocking. And like mm-hmm. you say, and the branding in the face of it is, yeah, that's. Yeah.
3: I mean, the same problem with Nike in China is that they're using Uyghur labor there and they are all Black Lives Matter in America. But what about the lives of the people producing this? Like, are you going to come out and make a hard decision for the right thing? You know, so, yeah, we all have a lot of work to do because it doesn't have to be this way.
0: We're all going to be naked walking around because we can't buy <laughs>
3: Yeah, maybe that's the best protest.
2: We <laughs> can yeah. support the small business fever. Yeah, the capitalism really oh my god, okay, off topic but have you signed, watched the video of Greater Zone by calling out the UN leaders for not taking the action, so yeah, on that, okay, this is off topic but this is kind of related because the people from UN really like promised to the environmental environmentalists that they were going to do the job, they have been promising but they don't do it at all because the wine and gas companies are behind those leaders. You know, the huge, huge thing that is impacting all the environmentalism is those oil and gas companies. But they won't stop because they are in a lot of money. So they will just uh, trick you with some sugar-coated promises and some so little walks. But, you know, behind all those spotlights, they are just doing the dirty walk. So this is what the other government sector are doing. Like Editors, Nike, they were like, they were showing that, oh, embracing women, empower the women. And then they were showing body diversity. They were even higher Beyonce, like as an icon. And oh, some people were like, just a normal people, not researcher, not analysis, not activist. They were just buying their products because that's what they see. That's what, that's what they are showing to the people, right? I, we are doing, we are embracing women. Women empowerment, but behind that, oh no, they are doing the dirty crime. So it is our job to, to remove the big screen and yeah. like trying to see what they are doing behind that. We have to call out.
3: Feminism that doesn't include the people who make your clothes isn't feminism. Who said it?
0: I think once you know like I mean I wouldn't even like I would just feel dirty if I wore Adidas now I just feel like oh like I just wouldn't like that feeling so I think that like not like people change their mind as a result but I think a lot of people like for me it's changed my mind so there's one person you know so I do think it, it does when you hear these stories and you, you do your research but I will say one thing it's so hard to find out where clothes are made oh my goodness so since I started looking for new shops it's become so hard to find where they do that like I know the ones who do business in Myanmar, obviously, because you guys and loads of people have done research on that. And that's that's public information. Mm. But there's a few shops here and I've been searching and I've been checking different groups. Like They you know, they say like they're not transparent about where they do their business. So mm.
3: it's really hard. Probably to- isn't a good sign <laughs> if they if they're not going to tell you, it's just not it's not going to be a good answer when you find out.
0: So it is really hard. And then like, you know, if you look in, I'm looking at some of these, you know, more ethical brands and they're like, you know, everyone gets a fair wage, but you're trying to say, well, who are your corporate sponsors? Because, you know, they could be the ones I don't want to have anything. To- <laughs> so it's just actually, when you start looking, it's a scary world. <laughs> it's
2: a scary world. Yeah. Let's know the word greenwashing, something like greenwashing, green capitalism, you know, the, the capitalist companies trying to change their pipe, test the pipe into the paper pie, that's, that's something called greenwashing because they, they are just trying to get the public attention and they are trying to play the nice guy in the public. So everybody, every big companies are trying to do that system. You know, if once you look that and you're like, oh, they are using the paper pie, no, but you know, if you go to their factory, they are not doing so green. I think one yeah.
3: one like less altruistic way to point this out to people is to realize how much money these companies are making off of you as yeah. a consumer too, for example, my friend started a swimsuit company because of the lack of body diversity in swimsuits and she said when she was researching she found this swimsuit and it was for sale for like two hundred and fifty dollars in the u s and she managed to figure out which company in China was making it, and they were selling it wholesale for about two dollars, so the markup was just massive, so they're making. I mean, they have all this overhead at their stores, but they're still making a massive amount of money off of people on the other end, the shoppers, basically. But I also think there's—I mean, we aren't being exploited. We're wealthy enough to be able to consider spending money on clothes, but just the fact that like they're they're getting money out of everybody, everyone involved.
2: And you know, brands like Adidas, Nike—they have really a good image to the public. If you wear those things, people will impress you. That's what they are trying to do, right? So. This is some, some kind of material. I, I don't know. Like, if you are wearing those type of expensive things, you are trying to find the impression. So that way, people carry away in that type of strategy. So then they forget to question their ethical what behind that. So it is our job to have the same values and same belief in the society, which is, which is very impossible. But I wish, like, we have those kind of values, like, even like, that can be indigenous, that can be Nike, but if it is not an etiquette, we have to be there to call out that. Uh, because we are not trying to compare who can spend more, right, with more rates. This is not what we are doing. Like, if we really care about the garment workers behind that, then we were trying to give up on those impression games. <laughs> so, who, who can spend more more money gains?
0: Right. Because we do have this, like, you know, if you're not wearing the right thing, like, you know, you're kind of looked down yeah. on, you know, we do have that attitude. Yeah. People feel pressure to wear certain things. Certain-
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Peer pressure. Mm-hmm. If you are not using the iPhone <laughs> or if you are not doing some latest model brand, are,
3: are you wealthy enough to do free advertising for all these companies? <laughs> <laughs> but like, at what point no. do they have so much money that like,
0: you know are they not embarrassed like oh my god i've got billions and people are starving like that's i would be embarrassed like i, I would like to think that if i had billions in the bank and people were starving in the world that i would be slightly ashamed of myself it's just at what point like how much more money could you want you can't take it with you to the next life like just do better like you know you've got billions the least you can do is ensure that the people making you billions are treated with human decency like yeah. it's a very small ask
2: yeah and i want like i want to add something. I want to tell to my people, like Myanmar people, that don't blame each other for not knowing these things. Because we are in the progress, you know. If I know this thing and the other person is not knowing that thing, that is not their fault at all. This is what capitalism did round to us. So just don't blame and embracing each other. Like, we are trying to invent what capitalism has been teaching to us since we are young. So, and this revolution is such a great opportunity for all of us to unlearn those capitalist things. So if someone is, someone doesn't know these things, then don't blame them, don't shame them, just embrace and it takes just one good intention to change that. Just don't forget that. That's what I want to say. Thank you.
0: I'm trying to think of someone listening and thinking, oh, my clothes are crap and I can't afford them. You can be just like, if anyone says something, you can say yes, because I believe in human rights. That's all I
2: Thank you. You guys are so amazing.
3: (laughs) I miss when I was in Myanmar, whenever my favorite stuff wore out, I just bought fabric that I liked and took it to a neighbor to have them sew a
2: copy. And
3: I've (laughs) been wearing the same clothes for 18 months because I've been stranded outside of Myanmar (laughs) living with my little capsule wardrobe.
2: You know, especially in Myanmar, social media is such a huge rule to sell yourself. And like, you know, the daughters of crony, I am really mad at them. I can name a band, I can drop names right now, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they're trying to like sell them as someone who can spend much more money. Like they will use the brands like Gucci and Adidas and like all of those famous brands, they are using those many. And then some people look at them. Some young girls are, like, really impressed. With, oh, such a good girl. girl was there. I want to be like her. No. But their father is such a big thief. And, you know, you are much more better than her. So know your words. And now that this revolution came and people are calling out bony and now some people really realize that what they had done to the public is such a bullshit, you know. They, they wear those clothes and they're trying to they their brand as a girl boss. They're trying to label themselves as a girl boss, but now people know that they are just a scam. There are many behind that. The money they are using is such a, like, crime. So, that's, that's a good thing. Revo- that's the bright side of the revolution. Uh, well, I won't, I wouldn't say that because there is no bright side of the revolution because the lives we lost, we will never get, get them. But, you know, I'm really glad that people are reflecting on those kind of issues and trying to question. People don't dare to underestimate them anymore, you know. They know that they have the power and they know that they are worthy. And, yeah, they are coming out, they're calling them out, what really makes me happy at the same time.
0: Yeah, and when you realise how they got rich from, you know, Exploiting other people, robbing people, you know, stealing yeah. from them, you know, taking their crops. Like we see it now. Like, so we, you start to <laughs> how they get so yeah. rich, you know, and the, how their families get so rich. All this bribery, all this corruption. So yeah. They
2: are no longer famous anymore. And then they cannot sell anywhere anymore, you know, <laughs> because people expose their crimes, their parents' crimes. So that's a good thing. Really hope for a better Myanmar, right? So these kind of issues, people are trying to work on these kind of like feminist issues, human rights issues, a lot of different social issues are where like has been in Myanmar and people are trying to work on this. So I really, really believe that our new Myanmar will be really amazing. Yeah. Hopefully. With people like you guys, yeah, it will
0: be like, and. <laughs> I think as long as people like you guys are doing doing your bit and speaking out and and raising awareness I think it's it's great. Fighting like a garment worker is a, is a great initiative. So what's what's next for you guys when you've got one more story for this and do you have something else or you're just hoping to maybe make it a bigger story as you were saying and do you have any other things that... Yeah.
3: We'll start writing a book proposal for the same idea. So. Yeah,
2: and we'll have a video step. project, right? Oh, yeah, but video. that's on hold cuz our <laughs>
3: Our interviewee we we had to change so many things about the project between july and now because people went dark we were going to publish hard copies of it and then um, it just got too unsafe to do that so we had to shift a lot of our plans so yeah it's been quite the ride but yeah we do hope to do we did hope to do a video project and we might still
2: like no matter what our interviewee security is the priority yeah we will not do anything that that, that will impact on their security so that's why we are we are on for a studio project
3: we believe in storytelling but we also like don't want to be putting ourselves in a position of believing we're the voice for garment workers like the mm. people who are voiceless aren't born they're made by systems like this so mm. we want to like fight that system so we're looking forward to on our contacts Can just speak freely so we don't have to
2: we want to keep our work very as the too that's our Mm -hmm. priority
0: we definitely relate to that because we're always like we're not the voice of this you know and it's important so we have to speak like it's it's a you know the the same thing though we're just like always like make sure it's their voices that we're pushing forward and it's hard not to have an opinion like there's no neutrality when something like this has happened like you know you're with the people and that's it there's no I'm in the middle like but we try not to give too much of our Force
1: more.
0: <laughs> we tried to hold back a little bit, but yeah, I think uh no, I think what you're doing is great, but you guys whenever I see it, it's usually posted from from you, Brianna, or it's posted on Sisters to Sisters. Does it have its own space? no, it's just gonna that's where people
3: should check it out. yeah, Sisters to Sisters, we're making a website, and it should launch in a week, so depending on when you air the podcast, you can share the link for that. I'll let you, I'll send you the link when it's up.
0: you're doing great work, keep it off, I know it can get so tiring, but like. We've got to keep going i keep saying that like no time to stop we all better keep going yeah. but uh do yeah
1: take breaks
3: yeah keep going yeah
1: yeah, yeah. it's amazing to meet you both thank you
3: so much for your time yeah same to you mm-hmm. thanks for doing your podcast and
2: you know it means this a lot has been people. a wonderful conversation i was quite nervous at first but you know after talking to you guys you guys are really supportive and yeah so thank you so much for that and i really appreciate your podcast, you know, I, I am a huge fan. <laughs> I want to say that again. And this is such a brilliant award and I, I love all the guests and I am such like an honor like to be featured in, on your podcast. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to Our podcast. You can follow us on all major social media platforms. It's at R&R podcast spelled A-H-N-A-H. Please like, follow and subscribe. Myanmar remains in our hearts and thoughts. We have not forgotten you. Let's keep the conversation going.